This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast. No games this week because it's Christmas, but let's look back on a crazy week three. The Nighthawks are 3-0, Las Vegas debuts, and the Mammoth and Bandits are back. We'll speak with Mr. Luxurious Mitch Belisle and dive into the analytics with Ty Merrill. All that and more on OTCB. not scored a goal tonight. Donville works in, shoots and scores right on cue. The rookie with his first career NLL goal, Jonathan Donville. One more, oh, what a save, Christian Galbiato. Racket, save it, plays of the week, TSN. Here comes Nanakoke and he's got help. Here's Kluche in, scores. Chris Cloutier may have well put Buffalo up for good. Over the shoulder shot by Fields. He scores again. A welcome back to the Capital Region for Connor Fields in the way only he knows how. And the Nighthawks are back in front, 14-13. Deep in the corner. Dutch is trying to find some space in the middle. Shot, score! Zed Williams, another goal. Extending that lead to four. And Fennell makes it 20 goals for the Thunderbirds. The newer Halifax franchise record for a goal scored in a game. It's Thompson who loses possession. He's got to scoop it up. He'll go driving in with two. Give off. Bumbiri. Saved no. by Higgins. Saved by Higgins at the horn. And Philadelphia wins it. What is good, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast here on the Lacrosse Flash Podcast Network. What a week three was. It's just unfortunate, sort of, that we've got Christmas, so no games. We've got to wait till New Year's Eve weekend before we get back at it, but that doesn't mean the podcast stops. He is Pat Gregoire. Find him on Twitter, at pgreggy. I am at Teddy Jenner. The show, at OTCB underscore podcast. Or find us on the Instas at OTCB Podcast. Patty, my man, what is going on? Are you in the festive spirit? I am very holly. I am very jolly. The eggnogs are flowing. Um, we're going to be absolutely rocked with a winter storm. So uh, Christmas is in full swing here in Ontario. Uh, we got hit with some snow earlier this week like a day and a half of snow got close to a foot and a half cities in pure chaos uh, our three snow plows have been put to good work <laughs> but uh, it'll most likely go from minus 20 tonight with wind chill to six degrees in a couple days and the city will be flooded it'll be perfect christmas Oh, yes, a nice wet, soupy Christmas. Nothing screams Christmas like uh, all slush. And... <laughs> Nothing screams West Coast Christmas, yeah. Christmas like slush. Yes. Uh, you were on your couch making a dent all weekend watching games. Uh, how mm-hmm. was it from your perspective? Uh, what was a fairly busy week three? Saturday was stressful, man. <laughs> a lot of games, like uh-huh. switching back, making sure you had enough screens because if you wanted to watch them they're all pretty much at the same time uh, and with the exception of of the late game between Colorado and Panther City 
But I mean, hey, it was uh, a wild week indeed. Pretty much, you know, every single game, even if it was a blowout, was was still entertaining. Um, you know, you had we'll start with the Friday games, but great job by you, uh, Brad and Chantel, with that game because that was a Calgary domination from yeah. the whistle, and it still was entertaining. You guys still did a great call, but man. That was a thumping. It sure was. Like, it's so weird being around that Vancouver team because they're so positive and they're so upbeat and they always feel like they've got it figured out. And then the whistle blows and Christian Del Bianco goes 25 plus without letting in a goal. And that team from Calgary is just rolling and everything is on page. And when it's a runaway train downhill, there's not often a lot you can do to stop it. And I know Troy Cordingly and his group tried everything they could. They put in Aiden Walsh. They, you know, had Matt Delmonico running some O shifts. They were just trying to do anything and everything to get Calgary off their game, and they just couldn't. And in one eye, it was a real treat to watch because that was a coaching clinic by Kurt Miloski. And he had his guys prepared for morning shoot-around. And we were sitting in the crowd watching – uh, Chantel and I and our producer Bucky were watching morning shoot around and just the efficiency that Kurt Miloski runs those shoot arounds and the, the lessons and the notes that he instills in his player just in shoot around to make them more prepared for the next night or for later that day. Impressive to watch. And that was a true masterclass. And, you know, kudos to not getting caught up in the shit that Vancouver tried to drag him into late in that game. They could have turned that game ugly, but they were happy with the result on the scoreboard. And they come away with a 2-0. and They take the season series already with Vancouver, who drops to 0-3. It was a tough, tough game for Vancouver. But, man, that was a pure, pure performance front to back from that Calgary squad. Yeah, and I, I don't want to take away from what – Calgary did because right. Christian Del Bianco was incredible. 49 saves, that one beautiful robbery, <laughs> the, the highlight of the year so far. Um, Shane Simpson, electric in transition, a casual five points for Jesse King. Um, you know, it was a, a full, complete performance, seven points from Tyler Pace. But again, when you look at this Warriors team, you you said it pretty perfectly that it does seem like They've got everything. They're it's they're saying all the right things before. It looks like, you know, they're they're dialed. But then once the game starts, just something isn't there, and it's not all on the goaltenders. No. The, the goalies obviously need to be better, but the entire team needs to be better. One goal from Mitch Jones, just one goal from Logan Schuff, zero from Killen, zero from Ball, just one and one for Charlotte Beatty's like. Nothing for Sean Evans. And I, you know what? I don't know if he was really 100%. It didn't look no, like it. And, and it's his first game in that offense. It's it's going to take some time for him to gel. But the one thing that a lot of people expected with this Vancouver team was that they were going to be able to put the ball in the net. Yeah. That was like their bright spot of this team. Even when they were struggling last year, it was the fact that they weren't going to, you know, they weren't going to struggle to to string runs together because they're so dynamic up front. Well, we really haven't seen that dynamic offense yet. And I know it's early. We talked about it last week. You don't want to hit the panic button, but now you've immediately lost the tiebreaker to a division yeah. rival. 
Like it, it's not panic time by any stretch of imagination, but urgency has to be setting in with this team. Yeah, they, they jump out of the gate 0-3. They've got three weeks off. They don't play again until the new year, and that team is going to be San Diego. So, you know, it's not going to get any easier for the Vancouver Warriors. The other game Friday night, Panther City uh, taking on Vegas in Vegas. We'll hear from Mitch Belisle on that experience as he was calling that game as well as the Halifax-New York game the next night. But what the hell goes through your mind as a team when you're having your home opener and you just can't buy a freaking goal. Like it happened with Vancouver. It happened with Vegas. You have all this hype and you just cannot find the back of the net. It just has to be so frustrating. And I think you could really see the, the offense was frustrated. Um, They, they were playing like a team that was kind of chasing that goal. Um, they weren't sharing the ball nearly as well as they did in game one. Um, yeah, maybe they were overhyped. I don't know, but it definitely, again, similar. When you look at that offense on paper at the start of the year, like, okay, they've got some dynamic players. They're going to be able to score. Uh, yeah. We didn't see that uh, on Friday night at all, and I'm hoping maybe it's just the fact that you bring three new guys into the lineup that didn't play in game one, Jack Hanna, you know, obviously he had a, a really good first game. Guys are starting to to tune into him a little bit more. Um, again, not by any stretch of imagination, Sean Williams should be hitting the panic button um, because I think there was some bright spots to that game. Landon Kells looks like he's an NL goalie. Uh, the defense was pretty stout for a good chunk of that game. They kind of fell apart in the fourth quarter. Um, but holding Panther City to just four goals in that first half, I think the defense would have been happy with that performance. Yeah. Um, and zero in the third quarter. It's just the, the wheels kind of fell off. And I think that's because there were so many short possessions by the offense and nothing really was coming from it. At least there was a fight. There was a fight. There was yeah. a, a, bar, a brawl. Uh, there was a mini brawl and a little um, rough tough tumble. So, you know, it, it wasn't the outcome that they wanted, it wasn't a win. But there was a little bit of everything. Obviously, you know, when the National Lacrosse League comes to town and we tout the average of, you know, 17, 18 goals a game and your home team in their debut scores three, it's kind of a little like, what the hell? But they got some fights. They got a guy tossed through the boards. They got a little bit of everything. Um, so I think the, the debut on floor didn't go as well. But I think as a whole first run i think vegas did okay absolutely from a games operation standpoint from um the way they just even well first off shout out to the crowd that showed up Mm -hmm. Uh, it was a great crowd it was a energetic crowd um you know wayne gretzky was on hand steve nash was on hand janet Um, was there janet was there rocking uh dj's Mm -hmm. jersey Awesome. And the, but as soon as that game start, then again, just you were waiting for that big moment. It didn't come until the second quarter. And you got to also just tip your cap to Panther City uh, for executing a really good game plan. Mm-hmm. And this is I think this is going to be a Panther City team that, yeah, they do have a lot of great offensive pieces, but I think they're going to want to play more of a, you know, grind it out, slow it down game. But they also have the offensive capabilities to explode if they need to. 
as we saw last year, they played some games where they really filled the net. But I know they wanted to get harder to play against. They wanted to, to tighten things up. And I think through you know, the first three games, I think they've proven that. Unfortunately, it didn't go so well the next night. They had to fly back home. They didn't get to enjoy Vegas. They had to get back on a plane, head back to Fort Worth. I don't know what the connection is, how, how the heck you get from Vegas to Fort Worth, where he stopped. So I don't know what their travel home was like. But they got a Colorado team waiting for him, a Colorado team that's pissed off after their first game in Saskatchewan. Uh, so a great bounce back game for the Colorado Mammoth at the expense of a very tired Panther City team. Yeah, that's that's honestly what it looked like. It was a recipe for, I don't want to say disaster, but it was just they were setting themselves up for failure with that schedule, having to come back, coming off that great high of a, a big road victory. And then you mm-hmm. go up against a hungry Colorado team that is ready to prove that the opener was just a blip on the radar. Dylan Ward bounces back with nearly 50 saves. Uh, Reese Dutch looks great. Three points just shy. Yeah. How uh, how were you in that game? Were you like focused on your screen? Like, hey, where's Dutchie? Has he made a pass? Like, I was watching every replay. Did he touch it? Was he on the floor? Is that his shot? Did it go in? Like, I was urging for that 1,000th point. Yeah, I oh, totally. That's where my eyes were drawn to the the entire game. I was yeah. really captivated by that. And it was kind of the tale of of two stories, at least for me in that game, was, okay, checking out to see, okay, did, Dutch, did he get an assist there? Okay, it's third quarter, like he, he, he gets that number three, and then the fourth, we're like, okay, come on, come on, like it's got to come, it's got to come. And at that point, you kind of felt like Colorado was in the driver's seat, so they were going to win anyways. Yeah. But the on the flip side, on the on the other team, I was captivated um, by watching who was my favorite player to watch firsthand at the Minto Cup, um, the GOAT, Matthew Goche. Oh, yeah. had a great debut. Oh, One goal, so good. four assists. Um, I think they only gave him five loose balls, but I felt like he had more than that. Yeah. He played very and, – and that's – that was the one question mark is like, can he play that same game jumping up to the NLL, that crasher, that banger, not afraid to go to the middle. It was the same Matthew Goche that we saw playing for the minors. And that is a great sign for this Panther city offense that he's going to be able to jump in. Of course they would have preferred a victory, but five points in his first game. Awesome to see. Yeah. I know he got in because uh, I think of an injury to someone on that, that lefty side, uh, I don't see him coming out anytime soon of, of that lineup. He was just too good, too effective, uh, and you got to reward him uh, for that next game. So the Mammoth bounced back at the expense of Panther City. The Bandits also bounced back in a big way uh, and at the expense of their rival, the Toronto Rock. How good must that have felt for the Buffalo Bandits team who kind of got embarrassed in their first game? Yeah, I think they they needed that. They really needed that that for their confidence. And that's a group that, I mean, let's be honest, they don't really lack a lot of confidence. But, hey, if, if they go down 0-2, like, this group really hasn't faced a ton of adversity during the regular season over the past few years. It's it's kind of come natural mm-hmm. um, to them. Uh, but it's the, the way they bounced back wasn't even in your prototypical Buffalo Bandits way like it's not like they just lit the lamp sure 11 goals against that toronto rock defense is great but it was actually the defense and 
Matt Vince, who are the ones mm-hmm. I, I felt really shined. Vino with 52 saves. That defense was suffocating. They really forced Toronto to take everything from the outside. And as we know, if you're a team in Buffalo and you just rely on shooting those shots where Matt Vince wants to see, he's just going to yeah. gobble them up all day long. Um, and I think this, yes, I think they're going, they're still going to be a dynamic offense. Don't get me wrong. They're still going to score a ton of goals, but we heard Chugger in the off season. We heard a lot of these players in the off season say like, we know things have to change. We have to be tougher to play against. And that doesn't just mean tougher defensively. Like yeah. they maybe will sacrifice a little bit offensively to make sure they're getting off the floor in transition, make sure they're properly setting hard, hard picks you know, going all out for loose balls, uh, maybe not throwing that extra behind the back pass because, you know, they want to make it look fancy. Like, uh, again, they're probably not going to score as many goals as they did last year, but I think they are much more um, in tune with a way and a style of lacrosse that's, that is going to make them successful in the postseason. I probably shouldn't have said they got embarrassed in that first game. They only lost 11-10 to Albany, but it must have felt like one of the biggest losses they could have had knowing what Albany had done in the offseason, all the pieces that they lost, and how this Buffalo Bandits team is is a team of destiny. But uh, I, I do believe they're going to be just fine once they kind of get rolling. There was just that little bit of hangover from everything that happened during the offseason for them. So a huge bounce back for them and the Colorado Mammoth. I, I really like Brandon Robinson in that Buffalo lineup. He just – like you talked about, adds size, adds toughness, adds more grit, and a little bit of a, a mean presence out that front door. I think he's been really good for them. Uh, so that's a nice little addition to them. Uh, but at the expense of the Bandits, you know, getting back on track is the Toronto Rock, who are now 1-2, and two, and their offense has completely disappeared. Pretty crazy to, to think, to be honest, Teddy. It's, it is... It is concerning i think it's not again we know this offense is going to come back to life at some point tom schreiber had three and two so a much better game than he had the week before uh, but still only three goals on on 14 shots dan craig had two goals but he's taken 11 shots um you know and and that's just shots on goal like Mm -hmm. i felt like buffalo was blocking so many shots they didn't nearly um i don't think they 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 credit them for as many blocks that they probably should have had. Um, but again, yeah, it, it just seems like these last two games, it's either one or two players that are going off and not the entire team. Like we saw Keo last week scoring three goals. Well, this yeah. week he's got zero. Schreiber, I think, only had the one goal. This week he's got three. So like it, it's which what we thought was going to be a super deep offense. We we saw it in game one, game two, game three. We have not seen it. And again, it's it's way too early to start being concerned. Um, but I think this is a team that has really, really high expectations for themselves. And I think everyone across the league uh, and people who follow this league have high expectations. So yeah, they're kind of surprised that, you know, after three games, they're one and two. And I'm I'm pretty quite surprised as well. But, hey, <laughs> whenever you play the Bandits, you know it's going to be a tough game. And, yeah. and unfortunately, they just came out on the wrong side of that one. Toronto's putting 66% of their shots on net, but they're only scoring 12% of their shots. Wow. So that needs to be much better. And they got the time off so they can regroup and refocus. And I think everybody feels that this team is, is a championship contender. But 
uh, the way they're going right now, they definitely have to have a quick look in the mirror and figure it out because that's back-to-back weeks where they have truly, truly underperformed. Uh, someone who didn't underperform, Halifax goaltender, Mr. Hutchinson. What a first start for the young man. And it wasn't, you know, a, a blow away, like, wow, like, knock your socks off performance, but they didn't need that from him. They just, no. they needed the youngster to come in, in between the pipes and play well and make the saves that he needed to make. And that's exactly what he did. That's exactly what you need from a backup goalie. And it sounded like it was kind of a last minute, not last minute, but a, pretty quick decision decision. yeah Yeah, that okay you know what like after morning shoot around okay it's going to be Hutchison's net and you know he makes 29 saves only lets an 11 to a very good offense Mm -hmm. like talk about throwing a team you know in or a kid into the fire against a tough team and I thought he really jumped out to the task but I also think that defense in front of them stepped up you know, allowed him to see the shots that he wants to see. And I mean, when your team scores 20 goals, I think it adds a lot of, or, or takes off a lot of pressure um, yeah. when you let one in by you, but kudos to him. Talk about a great, great uh, first start. We already saw him. Remember he did play about five minutes yeah, in that five and a half. Opener. Yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah. So I, I think, you know, of course, big Warren Hill guy. I think he is definitely a, a starting goalie in this league, I think he can be an elite goalie at that. But if these injury concerns continue to pop up and if, if maybe they decide to go in another way, um, Hutchison, I think has a future, whether it's with this team or with an expansion team down the road, because I think he is proving that he can be an NLL goalie in this league. Through two games, Drew Hutchinson, 65 and a half minutes, Warren Hill, 54 and a half minutes. So Never would have thought Hutchie would have more minutes played than Warren Hill after two games. Different scenarios for both of those young goaltenders. But hopefully Warren Hill is healthy when the team gets back going in their next game. And Drew Hutchinson will be riding the bench. Not riding the bench, but on the bench, doing his job as the backup. Halifax-Buffalo, uh, that will be a heck of a lacrosse game uh, pre-New Year's Eve. Again, no games this weekend. Three games next weekend. Um, but the Rochester Nighthawks at the Christmas break lead the NLL at three and I don't think anybody saw this coming. I don't think anyone had them at three and Oh, what a start for Mike Hazen and his young group. This team is by far the best story of the NLL season so far. And it's not, not particularly close. They were the odds on, underdog to win the NLL cup. They were dead last in, in the odds. You look at almost every single power ranking that all the outlets had, they were no higher than let's say bottom three. Yeah. But when you have a team that has a chip on their shoulder and has a team that everyone's doubting and there's no pressure, there's no expectation outside of the locker room. That's a dangerous thing. And Connor Fields is playing some unbelievable lacrosse right now. Rylan Hartley uh, came down to earth a little bit this week, but was still did enough to get the job done. But man, this team 
I know they've had hot starts in years past. Last year was one of them where they looked, okay, maybe maybe this team is for real, and then they faded off. Well, maybe this team is for real, and we don't see a fade off because yeah. the way they're playing right now, they look like a team that is going to compete for a playoff spot, and if they get in, man, they can make some noise. Like that top five, Fields Knight, Hogarth, Katoni, Smith, that is a rough and tumble top five that's not easy to defend. They've no. got size and Katoni Smith and Hogarth. They got speed and fields. They got the vision of Curtis Knight. Like you get Austin Haven, Hazen and Turner Evans kind of chipping in with two, three points a game, and that top five continues to roll. That that's not an easy defense or easy offense to defend against because they do a little bit of everything. Ryan Smith is a bull in a china shop. Thomas Hogarth can find any sort of loose ball in the middle of the floor in front of the net and put it behind you. Like this is a scary, scary team. And if Ryland Hartley can continue to play the way he's playing and even play the way he did in that second or that third game, like these guys are going to start to put teams on notice real quick, Patty. If they haven't already, if they haven't already. Yeah. It, right. And, and again, the defense is, is, is playing great. Uh, Hartley has been nothing short of, of brilliant through first three games again not his best performance but still enough to get it done and and enough to make the saves that he needed to make fields 25 goals or sorry 25 (laughs) points in three games that is unbelievable and yes is he is he going to continue to play at that pace probably not is he going to cool off probably but he's not going to completely fall off a cliff. Like I think it's safe to say he's going to be in a scoring title race from start to finish with this team, barring knock on wood and injury. But even if you look after that, yes, he is blowing away the field for the rest of his team. But after that, it's Curtis Knight with 13, Thomas Hogarth with 12, Holden Katoni with 12, Ryan Smith with 12. Like that is a balanced yeah. offense. That is tough to defend. You're right. It is tough to defend. It's also tough to game plan. Sure, you know, okay, we got to shut down fields, but if even if you contain them, look who else you got to stop. Yeah. This, this team's real. This team is legit. I, I'm not running to, you know, the sports book to hammer a future bet on them or anything, but I think the notion of this being a, a flash in the pan and just a fluke, I, I think you can throw that out. I think this team is here to compete and here to compete for a long time. First in goals, second uh, tied for first in assists, leading the league in points. Connor Fields, again, the only other, you know, the next closest guy that's played three games is Schreiber, and he's nine points back with 16 points. He's off to a, a torrid, torrid pace. And it is awesome to see because you knew he was going to have a chip on his shoulder after being left exposed in the Las Vegas expansion draft. He obviously gets flipped to Rochester in a deal on draft day. Uh, expansion draft day that is but what an outstanding start to the season for he and the rochester nighthawks the las vegas desert dogs are zero and two not the greatest start but a lot of positives to build off of mitch blyle was at the game calling it for espn and then he hopped on a plane and headed back to new york to call the thunderbirds rip he goes one on two right here on the up the crossbar podcast He was in Vegas for the home opener and then caught a red eye because he's a dedicated broadcaster to head back 
to the island for the Riptide and Thunderbirds. He is Mr. Lucas Blyle. Hey, brother. I'm doing great. How are you doing? Um, I'm great. Pat's great. Uh, what's the toque you're wearing there? Oh, this is uh, the Boyardi Foundation, George Boyardi, who, if you've read The Hard Hat, the book by John Gordon, um, George Boyardi was a player at Cornell in 2003, uh, 2004, who passed away. He was a senior captain when I was a freshman there. So pretty inspiring story. And um, now there's a book, The Hard Hat, that talks about his life and legacy and highly, highly recommend checking that one out if you haven't read it. It's a very easy read. Be good for the the trade the uh the plane trips to uh to all your games add it to your christmas wish list as we are just a few days away from the big man coming um speaking of special stories uh the nll aired the tucker williams story during um the broadcast this weekend how much did you know about tucker and and since you know it's become a, a big story to you know how much have you learned about tucker williams I didn't. So I knew the I knew the general story uh, of Tucker, and and I, I think I've probably been part of the the games in Buffalo where they've mm-hmm. where they've recognized the Braver than Brave and worn the special jerseys. Um, so I had a general understanding of it. I, I probably had never heard it to the degree of the story, and also um, you know since having kids, it, it hits a lot closer to home when you have your own kids, and I have kids that are just a little bit younger than Tucker was um, during that. So I, I told Devin, I was like, thank you. know, I, I watch it well before the broadcast and I didn't watch it at halftime cause I got so emotional from it, yeah. but I, I think it really encapsulates. And what I said on the broadcast is the same thing. Like he's taken that incredibly impossible experience and turn it into a positive thing that not just affects him, but affects people across, you know, across the world's lives. And that's, and that's what it's all about, right? It's like taking tragedy and turning it into something positive. And he clearly does that in a lot of different ways, but um, it's, it's really special to see that. And you can feel that resonate in that locker room in Vegas. The, the yeah, locker room in Vegas was the first time it was there, and it was a wild and crazy opening night. Um, we'll get to the game, but did Vegas put on a Vegas spectacular that you kind of thought they would in the whole pregame and in-game atmosphere? It was, yeah, it was phenomenal. I mean, it, I, I was joking with my wife today. I was like, Vegas is weird because I never want to go back. And also I can't wait to go back. <laughs> um, and I think that it was, it was like, it was so great that the production, I mean, Josai and the team and Mark fine, what they did there from a production standpoint, granted I was in the booth, so I didn't see it from a, a fan perspective as mm-hmm. much, but it was, it was as good as it could be like excitement, they got everyone was they got the people into the building early on purpose and it worked like everyone was there for the, the end of warmups um, and intros and obviously when you got the great one getting a key to the strip with uh, Steve Nash like pretty cool environment and then as soon as that first whistle blew like the fans were into it and they were super excited and I think not super knowledgeable yet and that made it even more exciting because they're like waiting for that first goal waiting for that first big hit and then when it happened they would erupt. Um, so I would say they set a new standard. I, I accidentally walked into a production meeting of, um, of their content media team. And there was like 30 people in there. I was like, are these all just photographers and videographers? And, and, uh, 
and they and they did a great job capturing it. if you've seen some of the videos and highlights and pictures that have come out like that they did that for a reason and and it shows i mean they, they definitely were were loud from what it could see in the broadcast unfortunately though uh it took a little while for for them to kind of get something to cheer about and really only three goals sure they had the fight um some big plays and big hits but still the energy was in the building from start to finish but mentioning just three goals for this offense what did you see that this offense was missing because i mean if you look at this this unit on paper they have a fair share of guys that have contributed in the national cross league just for some reason they're missing something to be fair this is the first time that three of those experienced players had had played a game with their teammates right um and so that i think you, you gotta you gotta give at least a little bit of it's a first home game so you got those nerves and those that excitement level but then you've got um Greerzy and and bertrand who haven't been in the lineup and you've got uh, um uh jack Hanna, who played like gangbusters a week before and then i think real quick found out like okay people clued in clued in on him this week and he had pressure in his hands every single time he touched yeah. the ball and, and he struggled with that so um it was i think it was like a perfect a perfect storm of like nerves not being on the same page and just not being able to swing the ball and big credit to that panther city's defense was phenomenal during the game like i'm talking they were yeah. smothering the, those takeaways on jack Hanna. like two or three of them were just like good firm pressure and poke checks not like chasing but like pressure con continuously and that just made it really difficult for them to find any openings or gaps all over the floor do you think Jack Hanna can succeed after, you know, it's a small sample size and you mentioned, you know, that first game, he was unbelievable. Second game, he gets brought down to earth. How does he now kind of move forward as an American just starting out in the NLL? I mean, I think it's a learning process and he's going to get better every game. And I think the first game was a little bit of fool's gold, I would imagine, just based on, you know, he's a really athletic, incredibly smooth and talented and no one had a scout on him in box they got a scout on him and they saw like, okay, we can put some pressure on him, but he's also going to now understand, okay, this is going to happen when they put pressure on me. Here's how I can get out of pressure. And, and the couple times where he just ran through that pressure, he was able to get to the goal or get good looks. So he's going to find that balance. I'm sure. I mean, that's why he's gotten where he has in his career. Um, and he's going to have Zach Greer to help coach him through it. And he's going to have Rue to come set picks for him and, and make, get that timing down on the right side with the rest of the righties. So I don't doubt that he'll be fine. I think it's just, it's a, it's the ups and downs of learning the NLL for an American and, and for a guy without a ton of box experience. You talked about how impressed you were with Panther city's defense. And obviously Nick debuted uh, only allowing three goals, 30 saves, but on the offense, uh, only nine goals, but it, it looks like this unit certainly can be dangerous in this league. Uh, what were you most impressed about with this offense? I mean, the way that they execute, um, you know, their, their patterns and then swing the ball, like they do a really good job of, of moving continuously on offensive sets. And there, there's really never anyone stationary. Um, and, you know, Farrell and they brought um, uh, Milligan back in the lineup because of their connection. And you saw it, I think the first power play goal was that skip uh 
from Milligan to Farrell. And it was like, perfect. And yeah. then they misconnect, misconnecting on it like three more times, but it was there. So like that, like hitting either a, a guy who's flat on goal line extended or hitting a guy streaking down, down one of the wings cross field, um, cross crease. Like that is where I think they have a lot of success. And I, I think back to the time when they beat the riptide um, last year for the first time and they had, they were missing a bunch of guys and there was COVID issues. And, um, and I was like, wow, they're really good at just swinging the ball, get, getting everyone to get touches and then continuing their motions throughout the entire 30. Can it succeed in Vegas? You know, first game, there was a lot of hype around there. What do you think the takeaway from what the fans was? And do you think they come back? I, I absolutely think so. I mean, there's, you know, it's, it's a weird place, Vegas. I was joking about not wanting to be there, but wanting to be there. Like you're, you're kind of captive in these casinos, right? And there's only so yeah. many things to do. So you're getting, and it's weird. You end up seeing the same people over and over and over. So like there is, there is that, there's kind of that, like you're trapped and you're looking for entertainment and this is a great option and it's way better than the like Michael Jackson musical next door. So, um, so I think they're going to have, a lot of people that end up just finding their way there. Plus the people who came and who are supporting the team from day one are going to be diehards, I think. And they've got 2000 season ticket holders. They can get them to buy in, which I, I think if they can have another game where they can start to get some offensive firepower going that will, um, they're, they're going to be in great shape. Uh, you met my buddy, Doug Bellamy, who's going to be working on their broadcasts. Yep. Yeah. Great, great meeting Doug and another uh, West coast guy out in the, out in the NLL. Now it's great. Yeah, it's awesome. He's been there for 20 years, so he, he knows the landscape. He he knows what Vegas is all about, and he, he's just been all over it since the team was announced. And uh, I'm so excited that you guys got to meet up. I'm excited to see him call his first game because I know he's nervous. But um, I think kind of relates to we'll talk about it a bit more. But how do we get more players in the broadcast booth? Yeah, I think it's important. I, I've I've talked to um, – some people at the NL front office, I think having, you know, it's always tricky balance, but having guys that are hurt or guys that are uh, maybe healthy scratches come up and just sit and watch what happens in the booth, I think would be a great opportunity for those guys to see and see what goes on. Um, And then I I think it also comes down to just knowing that there are opportunities and, and knowing that there are opportunities after you play. And, and some players have asked me about that and I'm, and I always encourage, I'm like, you gotta, you gotta, if you want to do it, you got to find a way to, to get involved. But there's also a lot of opportunity I think that will be forthcoming. And so that's where I think, I think just getting more guys, the experience of seeing what, what that actually takes and what that looks like, and then making sure they know that that is an opportunity are the two biggest things. I've been asked this and I know you and Pat both have too, but who do you think could be the next guy that could step in and, really do a good job as a color commentator. Uh, Mike Poulin is a guy that I, I think will be in the booth someday soon. Um, he's one that I just, he's, he's really smart. He uh, is very likable. Um, and those two things I think are, are really helpful in terms of telling the story of a game. He, and he knows the game and he knows how to tell it in a way that resonates with people. Um, 
So he's, he'd be my number one pick in the, the all broadcasters draft. <laughs> uh, I would love to see Shane Jackson in the booth. I don't, I, I don't know that it would uh, last more than a game or two with the FCC. <laughs> it would be, it would be a, a blast while it lasted. <laughs> I think that, I think that would have to be a pay-per-view uh, <laughs> off air or off uh, TV, like online or on a streaming service, but I would pay for that 100%. That would be a lot of no doubt about <laughs> Big that. Bucks. Big bucks for the Shane OJ. Jackson. Uh, <laughs> well, Teddy already mentioned it. You hopped on a bird, uh, headed over the island uh, to see what I thought was potentially could have been the game of the week. Uh, but we saw the Riptide fall to zero and two. Now that's two losses at home, a, a loss against a Eastern foe. Um, I know it's not time to hit the panic button by any stretch of the imagination, but this is a team that had a lot of high expectations of taking that next step. Um, what are you seeing going wrong with this Riptide team early on? Uh, the it was very it was a really weird game the way it played out. Um, you know, the first five minutes, the Riptide came out guns blazing, and they, and they jumped out to an early lead and looked like they had all the energy. They were up three one. And then it was it was literally like someone popped a balloon and they were just like 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 completely deflated, especially on defense. Um, and and I you know it's one of those things where I've been I could feel it. You can when you're a player, there's certain games where just like it feels like everything. The harder you try, the more wrong things go. And that's what it looked like was going on. Like they were trying to do too much defensively which then would extend them and then guys would get underneath and wide open and um and it was it was it was really frustrating and then they still like kept it relatively close into the third quarter but it just it just really felt like there was just never they just never could get over the hump of that energy that they brought in that first five minutes um and and Halifax is a very, very good offense. <laughs> That's my other big takeaway is like they are next level in terms of their ball movement, in terms of the different complementary pieces that they each bring to the table. And yeah, they just looked, they looked borderline unstoppable at times. That kind of leads were- into my next question. Um, and we know 19, 19- goals 20 goals 18 goals like that's not sustainable for a full season but could this be you know a top offense in the league we've seen them do this years past for a couple of games but they haven't been able to put it all together for a full season do you think this is the unit this is the year that they can become that top offense i really i i think they have all the tools like they have i i do think so so much of offense is being good is having these like, like complimentary pieces at all kind of, you need the, like the old ice hockey game. Remember that you have like the tall skinny guy who goes fast, the short <laughs> fat guy who bumps everyone around in the media. Like they have the perfect blend of those, those players. And yeah, I mean, as long as everyone stays healthy, that's always a huge question mark, right? They had like the, the, the strange situation with the COVID shutdowns and some injuries. And so they got out of sync, but if they can stick together, they share the ball incredibly well. And, you know, you've got guy with like Randy Stotts's vision and then a guy like Banesh who looks like he's covered and then for a half second he's open, he scores every time he catches it. Like that's a deadly combination just there. And then you mix in the way Benny and um, and Cody were, were playing the two-man game. It's like, well, that wasn't even something that 
I thought was going to be the most dangerous part of the game. And it gained them at least two goals, if not three. So uh, yeah, they're they're They've got, they've got what it takes if they can maintain it. And it's like, it's a varied arsenal of weaponry. It's not just one thing or two things. It's like Benny and Benny and Cody playing a two man pick and roll game was not in my bingo card for like, <laughs> the most impressed with. Um, you mentioned Randy Stotts and, you know, just his floor vision, but you were with Randy in his rookie year down in Georgia. He found a new home in Halifax, but his evolution has been a treat to watch. I know a lot of people think that he could be an MVP kind of player. What makes him so special? I think he always had the talent and he started to gain the maturity and wisdom of being a vet in the league. And he's gone through a lot of adversity in terms of, you know, his knees. And I just think he's grown up as a mature leader in this league and and done such a great job of now it's like, his mindset, his guidance, his leadership matches the skill that he always had. And you put those two things together and that's a, that's a, that's a pretty good combination right there. I would say so. Um, what's on your Christmas wish list? Oh boy. Um, a win for the riptide is, is on there. I got to see that. And <laughs> I don't think it's coming in 2022. In fact, I know it's not unfortunately. <laughs> um, more, 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 more ESPN games. Let's get some more on yeah. the uh, on the network. I know you'll be covering one later, Teddy, and pump for you for that one. Um, and then I'll be doing some more towards the tail end. But I'm hoping to I'm hoping to get the call for some ESPN games in the playoffs. That would be my biggest my biggest NLL wish for the for the uh, holiday season. Well, hopefully it comes true, my man. Uh, I appreciate your time as always. Couldn't ask for a better guy to come on and break down that Vegas game and, and what happened in New York as well. So appreciate you flying that red eye and, and pulling a double dip. Happy holidays, my man. We'll talk soon in the new year. Thanks, Teddy. Thanks, Pat. Have a great Christmas. And there's Mitch Belial. Um, always great stuff talking with Mitch. Uh, I, I love his suggestions of Shane Jackson and Mike Poulin to get into the booth. Uh, we do need more players. Just taking an interest in it. I love the fact that he said, find guys that are scratches or injured and get them up in the booth for a game just to see how it goes. That's where I got my start with Craig Rosinski. I was a healthy scratch with Rochester. Uh, We were playing in Ottawa. Obviously, he knew that I had a communications background and wanted to get into broadcasting. But he just said, hey, do you want to come and hop on the broadcast and do color? And I said yes faster than he could finish the sentence now i know there's not a lot of opportunities now because we have dedicated broadcast teams and there's always a color guy but if you can just get a guy up there for five ten minutes a quarter have him sit in i think it will really spark a lot of fire in a lot of these guys to want to get involved i would love to see some of these players in the off season do some broadcasting with maybe some some junior A games, maybe yeah, some great, senior great. games if they're not if they're not playing. Why not give that a go? Um, I, that would I think would be great. That's where you can get your feet wet. That's where you know all other broadcasters you know get their feet wet and 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 cut their teeth. So I totally agree. I, I think that you know Mitch Belial is the rare case of a guy that literally like stepped into a booth and immediately was just an absolute stud at it. But I do yeah. think. With the game of lacrosse, there's so many great personalities and so many great minds that there will be more Mitch Blouse that are going to be able to just step in right away and do an, do an awesome job. Um, 
will they be able to do it as well as Mr. Luxurious? I'm not sure because he is uh, one of, if not the best in the biz. Yeah, he's still good. And like you said, he just kind of stepped in right away and it was seamless for him. So I know there's a lot of people that are probably nervous about it, but once the lights go on and the game starts, really, you're only on camera for what, 10 minutes the entire game? Mm -hmm. So the, the, the nerves of being on camera are far outweighed by the enjoyment of having the best seat in the house and just being able to talk about lacrosse. So um, if you're interested, holler at us, let us know. Um, we obviously can get you in touch with people who can help you out. Um, and yeah, if, if you're not playing in the summer, go hang out around a junior rink and, and call some games because uh, it's a great breeding ground, not only for players, but for future broadcasters as well. Um, time for thumbs up, thumbs down, and you got a couple good ones uh, on this one. I'll let you go first with your thumbs up. Thumbs up to the Road Warriors. Every single team that played on the road this week won. I didn't even make that. Didn't even clue in until you wrote that in the the rundown. There you go. It was phenomenal. That's why you got to read the. That is why you <laughs> so got to read, read the rundown before we start. The rundown before we start. That is unbelievable. That is ridiculous, actually, mm -hmm. if you do think about it, because not only not only is that super, like I would be curious to hear when the last time uh, that happened in a, yeah. a full slate, but when you looked at the teams that played as well, uh, for the most part, a lot of these teams are really good at home. Uh, yeah. Vancouver has been great uh, you know, at home. Toronto Sorry, Vancouver has not been great. I, I don't, my apologies. Toronto has, though, since moving to Hamilton, even when they played in Toronto, they were always yeah. great at home. Yeah. You know, uh, Albany has done a pretty good job building their environment there. Um, you know, for me, it's just I was I was crazy to just when I was reading that, it blew my mind. And it just goes to show you that, like, yes, home floor advantage is important. But at the same time, when it's a lot of these teams' home openers, there's a lot of pressure and a lot of anxious energy to start those games. So kudos to the party crashers uh, that came out on the road and came out with a big win. A great stat by Graham Perro that he put out on his uh, NLL fact of the day. Week one, home teams were 3-3. Three and three. Week two, they were 4-0. and oh. Week three, 0-7. Oh so home teams are 7 and 10 to start the year. Is that a trend that some people might want to hop on? They're making, you know, a little OTCB parlay. Hmm, maybe, maybe. Well, I I will predict this. Zero home teams will <laughs> You're win. You're going to be that game. guy? Yes, yeah, I am that guy. That Come on. Someone already Oh, made that. oh boo. Well, well, hey, I made it. So, uh, you you, made it. I made it. Uh, my thumbs up this week is transition goals. 67 goals scored by defensive or transition players so far through three weeks. That's 17% of the scoring is coming out the back end. And we'll talk to Ty Marrow a bit about who he thinks is the best two-way team. I still believe, stats aside, that the Calgary Roughnecks are the best two-way team in the National Lacrosse League right now. Uh, what they did to Vancouver over two games uh, Shane Simpson, Zach Courier, Jeff Cornwall getting in on the scoring. Um, just phenomenal to see them run the floor. You know, Halifax is, is good run the floor. New York's good at running the floor. Um, 
it's just the new wave of the NLL is to have big physical defenders who are athletic that can get up and down the floor with speed. So um, love seeing that. I, I was a transition guy when I was in the league. It's just my favorite part of the game, whether it's shorthanded goals, three-on-two breaks, two-on-one breaks, whatever it may be. Give me more transition. Give it to me more often. Hard to argue. Everyone knows I love good transition players. So uh, it, it was. It's the way the game is going. It's it's the most entertaining, fast-paced game. So um, thumbs up from me as well. But as we know, with a thumbs up must come a thumbs down. And mine, the PA is probably not going to like me saying this, but I'm going to say okay. it anyways. No lacrosse this week does stink, and I get it. It's a nice break for the players, uh, but for the fans. For the broadcasters, for the media folks, it it does suck. It stinks. Look at all the big the big leagues. The NBA mm-hmm. has games on Christmas. The NFL has the games on Christmas. Yeah, but Day, could we Christmas compete Day. with all that? Is the question? No. <laughs> so my so my suggestion would okay. be, and again, this isn't this year. This isn't next year. This isn't. I don't know when this could be, but just one day, I would love to see possibly a Boxing Day game. Yes, okay, and, see that I'm on board with. And so you have a boxing day game and someone's going to be like, oh, well, what about the world juniors? Well, you work it around the world juniors, whether it's a lead in to the world juniors or a lead out after the game. That's a great way to captivate new NLL watchers and new Mm -hmm. new fans build off that hype that is the world juniors, because we know TSN has a great investment in that world juniors. Well, they're also starting to invest in lacrosse we're seeing more games on 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 the uh on tsn we're seeing commercials um so i just think that would be a beautiful blend but right now i get it not at that stage yet so that's fine players can enjoy their family time but i would just love to see maybe one standalone game on boxing day just my thought boxing day would be pretty sweet I, i i would be down for that i know we've talked about that before uh it definitely would be um that is a great thumbs down. I appreciate that. Yes, we all like to be with our family around the holidays, but we also, you know, three weeks in and we got a full league by because of Christmas. Would love to see somebody playing over the holidays. Um, mine, I kind of alluded to it uh, when we were talking about Vegas. How do you not go around the whole rink and check to make sure all the gates are closed before you start? <laughs> John Wagner. Was it John? No, who put, what was the hit? It was, was it, I think it was Hannah, right? Someone it was Hannah, Hannah who went through. Yeah, yeah. Hannah went through the boards. And was it Medeiros that put him Medeiros through? Medeiros put him through the boards. Yeah. So if you didn't see it, loose ball in the corner. Jack Hannah picks it up. Medeiros doing as good of what any defender should do is just launch a, a guy into the boards. And the gate wasn't fully latched. And so they both go tumbling through the boards. Uh, in a spectacle that everybody probably loved and was aghast at. But that is just a safety concern we need to make sure. And I know all the officials usually go around and check to make sure the gates are closed. But if you're the guy leaving the floor and closing the gate after all the pregame festivities were done, you got to make sure you lock that gate. Got to make sure. That that could have been really dangerous. So, um, Is that two thumbs? Two thumbs up in a row that had to do with 
structural aspects of the game for you? I think last It'll week. Down. Yeah, I, I had, I had, we got to be better with the turf because the balls go under it. And this is you got to close the gates. I, I'm all for player safety, man. Absolutely. No one loves player safety more than you. Everyone knows that. Um, before we get to time arrow, uh, we did forget one game in our weekly kind of recap. We forgot Philly and Georgia. And uh, yes, Brad and I, uh, Jake Elliott said it a couple years ago on the broadcast that Calgary and Vancouver always play entertaining games. Uh, they did in the first week, not so much in the second game, but Philly and Georgia always play entertaining games. I think, Someone put out the tweet. This is like the eighth game in a row that's been decided by one goal between these two teams. And it happened again. And Philly got a much needed win 13-12 over the Georgia Swarm. Um, You know, I think these are going to be two teams that are going to be battling for that fifth spot, that crossover spot in the East, maybe find a way into the four hole. Um, But I could watch these two teams play all night long. What a game down in Georgia. All they do is play close games. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. It is absolutely insane. And again, we talked about it last week. You don't want to call it a must win, but I think a lot of like both those teams felt a lot of pressure to, to win that game because they know how close these teams are. They know that these are two teams that are probably going to be battling for one of those last playoff spots. But you, you mentioned it. Like if you look over their last six meetings now, um, overtime win by Philly. Overtime win by Philly. Overtime win by Philly. Philly wins by one goal, and then Georgia wins by one goal. And then the one on top of that, um, you know, was Philly this week. So they're six and one over their last seven games, and they've all been decided by one goal. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. So, So, Uh, but if you're, if, if you are Georgia, you're probably kicking yourself saying, like, man, how how could one possession against these guys, how could it not just fall our way? How did we not get two more goals? Because right now Philly's got their number. And I mean, they've got their number within wins, but these games couldn't be any closer. Could you, know, be any closer. What, you know what might matter in those games? Oh, I think I might know. <laughs> Face-offs. Blaze, uh, Trevor Baptiste, 20 for 22. There's a couple extra possessions that you can get, and that often nice. helps. Um, it also helps when Joe Rezateris is finally clicking. He put up seven points. Benny Mack and Blaze Reardon had 11 between them. Uh, Blaze is off to a hot start. I love Andrew Q getting seven points for Georgia as that offense is trying to find their rhythm. So a uh, fantastic game between those two clubs. Um, and, yeah, just they always play really, really fun games. And it was back and forth all night long. Ty Marrow has seen his fair share of swarm games and he does his fair share of watching other teams. He is incredibly busy. If you don't follow him on Twitter, he's Ty Merrillax and he's got a heck of a project that he's been doing for the last couple of years, breaking down every single game for analytics and a deep dive into it. We shall go. This is Ty Merrill right here on the off the crossbar podcast. So no games this weekend uh, means we all just have to stare at our computers and do some deep diving. And the guy that's been doing that the most out of a few people is our next guest, Ty Marrow from the Lacrosse Flash. Uh, what's up, brother? You, you look a little flustered over there. Um, I probably <laughs> should have asked you this before you hit the record button. Uh, <laughs> I'm in a mood. Um, <laughs> after, uh, after some stuff that happened 
last night. Uh, I was up until to my time uh, scoring games, finishing up. And that's partly my fault. I, um, I waited till the last minute like an idiot slash I've been trying to do holiday stuff, but was proud of it. Woke up early for work today and then um, <laughs> rec- realized at about 11 a.m. that some of the NLL data that I was relying on had been updated. Uh. It's Wednesday morning. I scored seven games in three days. Ugh, I, I I don't want you guys to get in trouble because I'm very upset. Uh, uh, politely, like I, I think I finally hit my um. I think my a lot mind. of people, us included as analysts, because we struggle with it too. Yeah, um, it it is tough trying to follow your team or players around the National Cross League when the stat site isn't fully updated. Yeah. I get that. I think everybody is a little upset about that. And I know people behind the scenes aren't thrilled that it's not a hundred percent ready to go yet, but it is coming. But there are some places where you can get a Graham Prero has done a great job with his NLLstats.com site. The stuff that you are doing is great. Obviously Adam and Perkins are, you know, they've got their podcast and metric stuff going on. So there's a lot of, a lot of sources out there. Obviously, not everything we want and in one cohesive place, but we're getting there. We're getting there. So um, let's put our positive vibes only hat on (laughs) and let's keep it uh, going straight forward here. Um, First question for you, Ty. Three weeks in, um, what's the most glaring stat out there that concerns you? For just a... One particular team or all of them in general? Which is whatever, whatever, whatever is out there, whether it's a, a player or a team. Yeah, let's let's do this then. Uh, just because last, so the last time you guys had me on the podcast about a year ago, uh, I explained the project, which was I was trying to put some definition to the goals that were being scored because I wanted to know like how teams are doing at certain aspects of the game and transition, even strength, all that jazz. Um, and it was fine, but I felt like there was some information missing. So uh, this year I've updated it to where I'm tracking all of the shots in those nine uh, facets of the game. Yeah. Um, as well as some other minor things here and there. Uh, but the big, so like I can tell you even strength, how teams are doing uh, their shooting percentage, shot on goal percentage, their efficiency percentage, which is their number of sets, which is legitimate scoring chances. Um and like how many possessions that they have where they don't record a shot. So either there's a turnover, there's a technical violation, something like that, that results in them just essentially losing a possession. Um, It's not perfect. There are some things that I got to figure out, but for the most part, I'm kind of okay with where it's at. Go to the flash website or go to my Twitter, uh, Ty Merlax. If you want, it's the pinned tweet. I have like an explainer that goes through all this stuff. Um, I think the thing there's there's a couple of things and by the time you guys have this episode come out uh, I'll probably have already written it um Vancouver's really bad across the board I you said stay positive and I'm gonna (laughs) (laughs) very negative um Vancouver's bad across the board and I don't think it's fair to lay it all on the goalies at this point because they're getting hung out to dry yeah. quite a lot but um 
their efficiency numbers, especially even strength. Uh, the last two games against Calgary have been single digit percentage, which is bad. I can't remember what the league averages off the top of my head until I pull it. Let me get that hit. Um, yeah, league average for efficiency percentage, even strength is like 11.4 and they're eight and a half. Um, Toronto's swinging the bat, the ball really badly too. Um, and this is something I'll kind of touch on a little bit more that first game they played against Vancouver. Um, what they end up shooting, even strength, their shot on goal percentage was 63.6%. Um, but then their last two games against the Nighthawks and Bandits, who I think have better defenses than Vancouver does, uh, their shot on goal percentage was barely above 50%. So they're taking a lot of bad shots. Um, they're playing better defenses, which I think factor into that, but uh, it's it, we're still in the realm of small sample size. It's only been three games, but that's a trend that's built for a minute. Um, they got to find a way to tighten it up right there. I know you said it is a small sample size, but you know, one of the main reasons why we, we have, you know, advanced stats and analytics is to tell us, is there more than what meets the eye Uh, right now? Is there one team that you think is overperforming? And on the flip side, is there maybe a team that the numbers say, well, they're just kind of have some bad luck. They will turn things around. I don't think there's a team that's overperforming. Um, maybe Halifax, but just that averaging 19 goals a game is uh, for an entire season is impossible. Um, although, honestly, when you have Randy Stotts on your team, you <laughs> um, I, I was saying this. This was kind of something I wanted to save for next week um i think not necessarily a team but i think a player that's overachieving is nick Damude. um i think the defense in front of him is really really good uh tracy koloski and that coaching staff have a really great system in place and they're playing really uh low-key great uh ball um I know they just lost to Colorado, but I mean, that's a tough one to come back on after Vegas. Um, but they have all that going on. The The part, the reason why I'm saying that is because their defense, uh, where are they at? Uh, just at the settled game, their defense uh, opponents only have like a 9.1 efficiency percentage. So that's below league average. Um, the reason I'm saying day mood might be overachieving when I look at his, uh, goalie numbers uh, particularly the gsaa which is goals saved above average which i totally lifted from hockey um what that does is it compares the number of goals that have been scored against the goalie as well as their saves uh compared to the league save percentage so it's based off of their peers and, st- and it's a better in my mind it's a better metric for being able to tell how a goalie's doing uh day moods at 0.25 despite having an 8.75 goals against average and seven and part of that's because of the save percentage. Um, I think playing Vegas twice, which is a really bad on target team, is not helping uh, his numbers. But this was kind of something I wrote about last year, too. I, I When they were kind of trying to decide between David and Kevin Orleman, I was like, it really doesn't matter which one you go with. I, I know Corley uh, 
So I was recommending going with him, but they stuck with Damien. It worked out for them. I, I just, I, I think that's one thing. If they, if Panther City lost a couple more games or like if they had to yank Damien at some point, it wouldn't surprise me. I, I think the numbers are kind of backing that up at this point. What was the second part of that question? I don't remember it. <laughs> it was just oh, who's overperforming, who's maybe underperforming. Is there someone or a fan base that's getting ready to hit the panic button and you can maybe walk them off the ledge and tell them like, okay, it's going to turn around. Well, we know it's not Vancouver. Like <laughs> not Vancouver. No, they should be panicking. Uh, there's no two ways around that. Um, I don't really know. I mean, like it's so early in the season. It's really hard to tell. I think Albany's better than anyone predicted. Um, they're not going to be like a, they're, they're not going to be like a high quality team. That's not a good way of putting it. They have a very low amount of sets per game, um, but they're really efficient with it. Uh, Cause like in this last game against the Nighthawks, uh, they had, I had them for 44 shots on goal uh, and 55 shots period. Um, which is really accurate. That's an 80% shot on goal percentage, like across all facets. Um, but the Nighthawks had 33 more shots total than them. Like that's, that's a ton. Like, so they're, I, I think they're playing really good, smart ball. If you're, and I think we were all kind of on this, like, oh, Albany is going to be bad sort of train. I'm starting to come around on that. So not walk off the ledge. I'm walk. Yeah, I don't know. Rochester being three and zero, do the do the metrics yes. add up to that? Yeah, uh, I know Cooper Perkins has his stuff um, that he likes for that one, but I, I really, I'm very impressed by what this team has done. I do think a lot of that is Ryland Hartley, and he kind of came to earth a little bit against the Firewolves, um, but he's been absolutely stellar against the league's best players. Like he made Tom Shriver and Lyle Thompson look snake bit. Um, which is an absolute robbery. And then their even strength. The reason why I put so much focus on the even strength game is just because that's where most of your game is played. Most teams are averaging uh, 65, 70% of their possessions, even strength. So that's predominantly where your game is played last year, 85% of the team. When a team won the even strength game, outscored their opponent in that, uh, they won the game 85% of the time this year. It's like, almost 90%. So that's where you want to win. That's why I put so much emphasis on it. Um, Rochester's doing a good job at that. They didn't against the Firewolves, but then they kind of made up for it in the special teams game where it mattered. And they're doing really good as far as unsettled situations. So that's a lot of like loose ball stuff and things like that. So I, yeah, if you both sides have been incredibly impressive and and yeah, the numbers kind of back up what they're doing. What's that's the easiest for a team to turn around analytically? Uh, you would hope special teams, right? Uh, maybe, maybe not like, maybe not the penalty kill, but the power play. Um, but I, I don't know. Cause like Halifax had those issues last year, right? Where they couldn't yeah. do anything. They, they look way better now, but they also have Randy Stotts and Ryan Benesh back. So that's probably not fair. Um, I don't really know if there's an easy one. I think the easier ones for me are I track failed clears. Um, so when they don't transition the ball and get set 
uh, from defense to offense. And it goes back uh, to their opponent. Cause that to me is a waste of possession. I, I think yeah. that's probably it. If you're, if you're not losing as many possessions, that's more opportunities than you. And this is, I, I have a feeling I, someone's going to hear this and be like, Oh, so Ty does think face-offs matter. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of the same thing yeah. where it's like the more possessions you have, you should be better kind of deal. Mm. So like, you're not giving away those. If you're not having those technical violations I was talking about, I, I think the lower those are, the better your team should be. But yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. You are pretty passionate about something that, and Teddy and myself, many broadcasters will say time and time again, that when an offense gets a second possession, it's an advantage to them because the defense gets tired. And one of the reasons you took on this project was to dispute that that isn't true. Yep. Uh, I know it's still too early, but what are some of your findings? Is that a true fact or are some of us maybe a little more correct on, on that take? So I wrote in my flash stats uh, last week that I didn't re- cause I was looking at his Rochester for real. And I said, I didn't really want to touch on their uh, multiple possession numbers yet. Um, just because I I didn't know. I don't feel like we have enough data for that personally. I, I'm a big fan of not really making serious judgments until every team has played at least four games, um, which that's not going to be till like what mid January at this rate. Um, so I've only got 17 games worth of data, uh, but the data that I do have with the thing I had said in my original uh, sort of explainer piece was that, I never felt like that was true. I know that's something that you guys have said. Uh, pretty much every broadcaster across the league has at one point in their career said that. Uh, and I said, I don't agree with that idea. I think it's more in line with what their even strength efficiency numbers are. Um, even strength efficiency this year is 11.4%. And that's for all 17 games, uh, all 34 teams. Um the multiple possession efficiency percentage is 13.1. So I'm feeling a little validated earlier. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's still early. It's we still have early. to look at, we have to look at the, all the, all the data um, <laughs> sample size. So am, am I throwing enough buzzwords out there for, for sure. the stats folks? Sure. sure. But no, in all seriousness, this is why the project's so interesting because Again, I do believe that when it comes down to analyzing the sport, not just this sport, but but many sports, you need the eye test, but you also need those analytics to back it up. I don't think there is one that can tell you the real picture of what's going on without the other. So that's why I'm not a numbers guy. So that's why I rely on you to show me the numbers. And, you know, yeah. myself and a lot are, are pretty appreciative for it. Well, and to kind of go off of that, like I, I'm a little upset with last year just because I feel like I didn't really learn everything I wanted to know, or like I didn't get a, I didn't have as much information as I wanted, which is why I've gotten way too invested into what I'm doing now, as far as tracking all the shots and everything. Um, even then, there are still flaws. One of the things I noted was it's subjective, or I don't get a good camera angle. I was 
uh, scoring uh, the Panther City game last night against the Mammoth. They spent 18 seconds of one possession just focused on Nick Daymood stand just standing in the uh pipes like what's going on over there but it's 18 seconds of him just leaning up on the crossbar and i'm like i don't know what's going on i missed there could have been three shots damn it um another thing i'm kind of i i don't I, i'm really realizing is a failure on my part is i don't like how shorthand numbers are being tracked because i don't think we're i i don't think i'm measuring those right um and the reason why I'm thinking that, Teddy, you, you would kind of ask me this, I think, when you were brushing up on it two weeks ago. Um, shorthand number, when you're shorthanded, to me, the best outcome is you score, right? The second best outcome is you kill as much time on the clock as possible. Uh, I'm not differentiating that. So that's that's going to be an offseason thing, and I'm too deep at this point. But, yeah. Um, do you think teams will start to – embrace analytics much like other pro sports have done and put a lot of weight into them or is lacrosse too basic thinking to really put any value into into these kind of things they are uh we kind of touched on this last time i was on the podcast like i know there are some teams that are invested in this the only issue is, is it's not cheap um and you have to have accurate information um if you have faith in what the NLL is doing, you can rely on those. But even then, you there are going to be things that you want to track and that you want to um, – what's a good way of putting this? <laughs> there, there are things that you're going to have more confidence in uh, throughout it. And I think one of the, thi- one of the reasons why I'm not too – I don't know. I don't know what anyone else is really doing at this point. I did back when I was working for the storm, I had a better idea. Um, but right now I just, I don't know. And even if I did, how, how does your data compare to others? Yeah. Like that's, that's the one reason why my project for all of its flaws is public because I want people to see the methodology. I want them to understand what's going on with it. So that way it can be, potentially stronger i don't know if teams are necessarily doing that and if they are i don't know how that's going to impact the sport at this point fair enough now i have a another question and i think teddy's maybe going to talk about it a little bit later or uh, i mean maybe he already has talked about it but uh who's the best transition team in the nl right now (laughs) New York. And yeah, okay, talk, me, talk me through that. Yeah. Talk, talk, talk us through it. Talk us through this. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. Cause I actually, um, so New York surprising. So this is, I actually, I actually could have used this as my surprising stat. Um, when we were looking preseason at the teams, we're looking at New York that's running out Callum Crawford, Jeff T, Riley O'Connor, Larson Sundown, Jake Fox, uh, Connor Kiernan. That's a damn good offense. That's arguably one of the best offenses just on paper and everything. Um, they got handled against San Diego. 
what were their numbers? Uh, they only had like a 12.2 shooting percentage, 11.1 efficiency percentage, even strength, which is fine. It's just that their defense let in four more goals than their offense scored, which is bad. The part that got them back into that game was the fact that they were absolutely relentless um, in transition. Uh, I had them for uh, five transition goals. Um, so they were scoring on half of their transition possessions. Um, <clears throat> that number tampered down with Halifax uh, against Halifax, um, but they were still doing really well in that regard. Uh, I, I think this is one of those that's going to be a little bit too early, but I don't think there's really been any team. Albany does a good job too, but that's kind of uh, Coach Glenn Clark's model, having an athletic team that likes to run the floor and push and transition, and they're they're doing that. Um, Georgia had to do that against uh, Rochester, which they lost, so good for them. Um yeah, I think that's actually kind of the interesting thing. A lot of the teams that do a good job running also get they, – they don't have – except for San Diego, they, they don't have great records. Um, but, yeah, no, New York is the best transition team early on, I think. Like I would have thought you would have said Calgary. No. No, Calgary is <laughs> – uh, again, we're talking super small. Calgary yeah. uh, only has – four transition goals um, all season. So that was three, the first game against the Warriors, one this most recent game. Um, the part that's interesting to me on that one, and this is probably why those numbers aren't better. Um, Vancouver spends a lot of time on special teams. Yeah. So Vancouver, uh, let me pull it up because I'm looking at Calgary right now. It doesn't really matter because it's kind of the same thing. Um, Vancouver total this year has spent about 21, 22% of their possessions uh, on the power play. And they're not scoring enough on that one. That's part of why they're doing so poorly. Uh, their opponents are on there about 15% of the time. But then Calgary, uh, that first game, it was 17% of the time was on the power play. Uh, last weekend, it was 21% of the time. Uh, so those even strength position uh, possessions, it's only about 50%. But like, that's it. They're playing a relatively, if they're not playing settled, then they're either on the man advantage or the man disadvantage trying to, especially last week, just eat the clock. Yeah. Just get it. Done. That shuts me up. But uh <laughs> I look at your stat page like every day just trying to figure it out and it still confuses me. I don't know how you do it. Um, but we all appreciate the effort that you do to put into this project. It is an incredible resource and uh, I'm so happy that it is something that we have and I appreciate your time coming on. I appreciate the time you put in this, man. It's, it's, it's always a pleasure to see nerd work. It, it blows my mind. <laughs> thanks man i appreciate that back in that school that would have gotten me beat up afterwards but <laughs> no, people actually appreciate it it is a deep dive and there are a lot of analytics in his prep work and the stuff that he does and a lot of it i still don't understand i constantly text him and say what the heck does this abbreviation mean and how do you decide it and i ask him questions all the time like 
does a shorthanded goal count as a transition goal? Or is it just a shorthanded goal? Or what about this? What about that? And he literally takes everything into account. He's like, yeah, okay, I'll add that in. That's a good point. And like, when you go through some of these stats that he has and think about how fine-tooth comb he has to be in watching some of these games, it's incredible that he has it done. And I, I truly wonder how teams going to really start to look at analytics and take them into account i think if you're not you're doing yourself a a disservice and again i I mentioned it this time when we had our chat with ty and i mentioned it last time i'm not a quote-unquote analytics guy i'm not a big fancy stats guy i'm more of an eye test guy but with that being said i'm also not ignorant ignorant to the fact that analytics can help you in so many ways to justify what you're seeing or if there's something that you're not seeing, if you're deciding between two players on who to sign in free agency, um, that is so important. What is your strengths of your team? What are your weaknesses of your teams? Where are areas that you can improve? All this can be helped and assisted by analytics. And I think lacrosse is obviously behind the eight ball when it comes to, to advanced stats to some of the bigger sports like your baseballs, like your hockey's, but it's coming, and I, I, I do think um, work like what Ty's doing right now is only going to put more emphasis on how the stats need to be better and need to, need to be more in-depth, uh, not just for fans, but also for teams, for front offices. Yeah, you know, Graham Perro has his NLL stats. Like Cooper Perkins and his lax metrics is incredible. Obviously, um, Adam Levy has his <laughs> podcast. Um, so there are people doing the work. It is mind-numbing um, what they have to do for a lot of these stats. I don't get most of it, especially Cooper stuff. That stuff just blows my mind, the, the averages and the percentages and the the ratios that he does. But it's, it's all very intriguing when you want to look at it. Um, what isn't intriguing um, is our success rate on the OTCB parlay. Time now for Box Bets, your source for all the lines, odds, from across the world of lacrosse. Brought to you by CoolBet.com. Stay cool, bet responsibly. <laughs> hey, we're having a good day, lads. And uh, we're still in the mix, baby. <laughs> All right, box bets time, Patty. Um, no games. So what the heck are we doing this weekend? No games, and that's probably a good thing because, again, yeah. just not able to s- string together a winner in the NLL. So let's go to the NFL, the toughest league to bet on but luckily been on a little bit of a heater so i took the right i took the liberties to put together a little parlay and i went lions money line over the panthers lions one of the red hot teams in the nfl taking on the lowly panthers um don't need them cover spread just pick up the win the cincinnati Bengals minus three and a half against the patriots patriots coming off just one of the wild finishes in NFL history. Dating back to the butt fumble. That's how bad it was. And the Bengals, let's be honest, Joe Burrow and this team is looking poised for another deep playoff run. Let's take the Bengals minus three and a half. Everyone knows I'm a Bills fan, but everyone also knows I don't like betting on the Bills. But I like betting on Josh Allen in this offense. Mm -hmm. points. So I'm going with the over. 
39 and a half, bought that down a little bit to get to, you know, bought a point. So we're not at 40 and a half between the Bills and the Bears. Put that all together, plus 550 exclusively at CoolBet. You can find that over on the CoolBet Features tab, OTCB Parlay. It'll be there. Um, but yeah, no games this weekend. So we will um, we'll have something new for you next week. Team USA put out their roster. Uh, it is a very young roster. It is a lot of new faces on this roster. Um, but the one kind of growing concern that I kept on seeing was people were saying, oh, this is a team that they're building to beat Canada. And I've often felt that when you're building a team solely focused on beating one other team, you might miss what the strengths are of your team in the past. Like this is a team that's only ever lost two world championships. And I'm starting to be concerned that they're trying to focus too much on beating Canada. Now, a lot of credit has to be given to Canada for the players they're putting out. And Canada is going to have maybe one of their best rosters ever at the upcoming world games or world championships. But do you kind of, like, are you on the same page of me that maybe the Americans are trying to think too much about this roster? I think that people are thinking too much that the U.S. are thinking uh, too much about Canada. Gotcha. I really do. I just think that they realize the way that the game is evolving. It's to have those, you know, dynamic attack uh, attackers that can score from the inside. You You need the two-way middies that can, you know, also produce an offense. But if they get caught on defense, they're not a liability. I, and and let's be honest, a lot of those names that we're used to seeing on, on Team USA, like they do have to build for the future. They have yeah. to also build for potentially playing in the Olympics. They want to build for that, right? So that's why I think you saw some younger names there. Does a little bit going into to, to beating Canada, sure. But... I don't know. I, I don't really buy into that narrative too much when we know how powerful this U.S. roster could be. Just crazy to see some of these young names like Tarafenko, Sowers, uh, going through this. Brennan O'Neill makes it. Danny Logan, Jack Kelly, T.D. Erland. Obviously, he's going to be there with Baptiste taking draws. J.T. Giles-Harris. And then a guy like Charlie Bertrand, too. So, um I think when we compare this roster to the Canadian roster, it will be both rosters will be youthfully loaded. And I think it's just going to lead to an incredible world championship down in San Diego. Um, Canada obviously hasn't announced their roster yet. I, probably, I doubt they will for a while. Um, but it, it's, I was kind of just interested to see this roster because it's not a lot of the normal names. And yes, there is going to be turnover and there'll be turnover in the Canadian roster as well. And there'll be some guys on that roster like, well, who, where'd this guy come from? But that's just the evolution of the game. And you're right. I think the way the field game, much like the indoor game is going is you have to have those two way guys that can do it all for you. And the roster that is on that American team has a lot of that. Um, okay. One final thing before we get you out of here, obviously it is the Christmas holiday season. Um, and we asked uh, Mitch Blau what was under his Christmas wish list. And he said, oh, you know, win for New York. Um, and what was his other one? 
Oh, more ESPN games. Love both of those options. Um, but we're going to go through one wish list item for each team. Uh, and I'll go first. Uh, we'll okay. go alphabetically. It's the easiest way to do it. Uh, I think the Albany Firewolves would love a 100% healthy Joe Nardella under their tree come this weekend. I don't think it's, it's obviously not going to happen, but I think with all the losses that they had in the offseason, this was one that might be the toughest to replace. And so I think having a healthy and magically healed Joe Nardella under the tree would be a perfect Christmas gift for Glenn Clark. Yeah, I don't, unfortunately, it doesn't matter how nice Glenn Clark was this year. Unfortunately, Jane Ards being fully healthy is not going to be under the tree on the 25th morning, but they're going to have to find ways to win faceoffs. They got smoked against Rochester this past week. Um, I know, I know they're, they're finding ways. Um, they've had some great options as backups to Nardella, but unfortunately yeah. those haven't been good number one options. So they're just going to have to work harder to get the loose ball, scrum it up, get Mike Byrne just to scrum it up and, and win those loose ball battles. So I'll go next with Buffalo. Okay. And I mean, this one's obvious. There's nothing else on the bandits Christmas list. It's just one thing. And it's to win the big game, win the championship, get over the hump, and bring back a title to 716. That's it. That's all they want. What was the first time in one Buffalo history that the Sabres, Bills, <laughs> and Bandits yeah. all won on the same weekend? And I think Pagula Sports went like 5-0 and with the Americans and Nighthawks as well. Yeah. So um, a lot of positives happen in the 716 and the 585, but I agree, you know, you could say, you know, I want a, a Chase Fraser back and healthy. By the way, saw him uh, post game in Vancouver, and he's looking maybe for a February hopeful return. So that's good news for Bandits fans. Um, but yeah, winning that big game would be massive for the Buffalo Bandits. They've been close the last two years. They're due, uh, and they just got to put games together. And they started with a big comeback or a big win this past weekend. Uh, Calgary up next. Uh, they got a lot of things that they're happy for, and they got a lot of things they could ask for. But let's just have more Tyler Pace interviews, please. <laughs> yeah. Um, what an electric post game he had with Olivia McDonald for Roughneck TV. Uh, just spoke his mind, uh, very much uh, channeling his inner Kurt Miloski. Um, But what what an electric interview post game, And I think we need more guys that just kind of shoot from the hip, you know, get away from the cliche stuff. Get away from your stereotypical lacrosse algor or analyst at sword lacrosse adages. Yes, um, that'll work. But you know, Tyler Pace was fantastic post game. We need more like that. Beat the doors off them. They need to print the shirts. Print the shirts now. Awesome. And and, and the San the San Diego Roughnecks. Love it. Absolutely love it. Uh, next up in this one, again, I don't know. I don't know how good the mammoth are going to have to be this year. Really get on Santa's good side here, but I think a early return for Leaser would be something that would be great for this team. And they'd be hoping, um, I know they, they were able to do something magic, uh, without him in the lineup in that playoff run to their championship. I just have a hard time seeing them doing it two years in a row, right? Like, mm -hmm. I mean, Ryan Lee is one of the most dynamic offensive players in the game. And 
yeah, would, the Mammoth would love that on their list, but I think a lot of NLL fans would love that back on their list as well. Completely agreed. Uh, lacrosse is better with Leezer scoring goals. Uh, for the Georgia Swarm, let's get some steady goaltending under the tree. Um, obviously, Brett Dobson saw a few minutes. Craig Wendy hasn't looked great out of the gates. Uh, this is going to be uh, something we say about another team down a little bit later uh, on their wish list. But I think Georgia would just like some steady, consistent goaltending, allow that defense to play the way they play, and allow that offense to be a little more freer because they don't feel like they have to outscore every team 15, 14, 17, 13 kind of thing. So some more steady goaltending down Georgia. And it's not going to get any easier, Teddy. Their next games, next two games, Buffalo, Buffalo. So quite yeah, the that's challenge. Tough. That's a tough one. But, hey, get out of a rut. You, you Sometimes you just got to go up against the best and, and hope for the best. True enough. So for Halifax. More chowder, just just more chowder. Halifax. I can't wants wait more for chowder, chowder, man. I can't oh, wait. I can't wait either. It's going to be great. But yes, that was a little bit tongue in cheek, of course. With the way they're playing, I think that's really that they probably are asking for right now. But as you and I know, and as they know, we've seen two years in a row unbelievable starts to their season, and then they've hit that dip. Can they avoid the dip? I don't know, but I'm telling you, they're asking St. Nick, let's have a full 18-game season where we are consistent from start to finish. I love the fact that um, we talked about their power play and how it struggled, and now with the addition of Benny and Randy Stotts, that power play is starting to click. Like That was one of their Achilles heel last year, was mm-hmm. their power play, an anemic, anemic power play. And this year, it looks completely revamped. And I think that will definitely lead to a strong second half of the season. Uh, The Las Vegas Desert Dogs. I want them to get a home win. Um, They want to get a home win. So under the tree, they're going to get a home win and increased walk-up crowds. Because if you go and read Evan Schemenauer's article on Lacrosse Flash about his experience as a part-time Vegas local, um, and everything that's kind of around the experience of the Desert Dogs, the walk-up out, I think, is going to be a huge part of their success. And I think if you can continue to win and build the buzz, keep giving away some of those tickets, you're going to have a lot of success down there. So wins obviously help with the crowds, and crowds will want to walk up in Vegas, so kind of go hand-in-hand. Hand. So let's get more people and more wins in Vegas for Christmas. I love that. Hard to argue. They have that core of season ticket holders and the people that are always going to be at the games or come to majority of the games. Would love to see some bachelor parties there, some bachelorette parties, some people that are in town for other sporting events. That's visiting team fans show up like they do for, you know, the NFL teams and the NHL teams. It's a destination. It's like a destination road game. Yes, absolutely. I'm sure Vegas probably doesn't. I mean, hey, they'll take ticket sales no matter they can, but they want to still have that home field advantage. Oh, and they always will. They always and they will absolutely, no doubt. New York. I mean, this one's easy. Improved defense. Um, that that goes with the goaltending as well. Um, but we know this this offense could put the ball in the net. Um, they just need to be better defensively for a full sixty. Like they had stretches where they gave Halifax a ton of fits. That mm-hmm. third quarter, um, you know, held them scoreless. But they just need to do it from start to finish. 
a lot of expectations for this team. And I think everyone's saying that, oh, they can take this next step if the goaltending and the defense holds up their bargain. I don't think they've been holding it up. So I think they're hoping they go into their their stocking this weekend, pull out some stronger, tougher defense in New York. Uh, for Panther City, uh, they're off to a hot start, two and one. Uh, sure, both wins were against Vegas, but wins are wins no matter who they come against. But I need the fans in Fort Worth to start buying because if they don't, I don't know what to say when there isn't a team for them to go and see. Now, I'm not saying that's happening, but you got to get fans into that arena. It is one of the nicest arenas in the entire NLL. From everybody that's been down there that I've talked to, that Dickies Arena is spectacular. What's not spectacular is watching the game on my TV screen and seeing a whole ton of gray seats. So I need the fans in Fort Worth to start buying in. Yeah, I don't want to don't want to pile on too much. So I will say I agree, and I, I honestly think that you know that building i couldn't agree more that building if they were even able to get it half full like what yeah. an unbelievable atmosphere i don't know maybe everyone's just getting focused for tcu playing in the national yeah, championship sure. that's it. all they're worried about so hopefully in the new year they get some more fan support philadelphia i think paul day maybe has another offensive weapon on his wish list because right now there's only four forwards with two goals or more and one of them is plays Reardon who has been on fire <laughs> which I don't think we anticipated we knew he was going to be a good source of secondary scoring but he is one of the leading scorers on that team right now and I think uh, it is early they're not hitting the panic button they're, they'll take the progress but it can't just be the same one two guys every single week uh, scoring goals for them as you know depth scoring is so important in the NLL uh, the Rochester Nighthawks would love to find a super bubble wrap helmet for Rylan Hartley under their tree. <laughs> um, we all know his situation with concussions in previous seasons. If they can find like, you know, bubble soccer. Yes. <laughs> the thing they do at halftime, just yes. get a giant one of those and put that around Ralphie's head. But then you're going to cover, you're going to cover his beautiful helmet. Well, put that. Okay. Well, Color the the bubble the, green. <laughs> the same. Okay. Yeah, paint okay. the bubble like the helmet, yeah. but just find any way to avoid him getting hit in the head. Uh, for Rochester is a must need because uh, a healthy Ryland Hartley really is a huge part of their success. You know, we saw what happened when they lost him last season, and obviously right out of the gate, three and zero, he's been fantastic. So they got to keep him healthy. Uh, super bubble wrap helmet for the Nighthawks. San Diego, they're 2-0. They're looking great. The offense is dialed. The defense has been real strong. But I think something that you and I have been talking about for a while, I think they would like three complete games from the O-Rick. Mm -hmm. Because I think Frank Chiliano, I think he's going to be fine. I know it hasn't been his best start, but where we've seen him fade is at the end of the year. Yeah. I think some spot starts from a very capable goaltender in O'Riglieri will allow Frank to last a season and go on a championship run. And I think it'll take a lot of stress off him too. The fact that O'Rig can come in like he did in that Saskatchewan game and give him relief minutes and, and steal a game. But if they, like you said, if they can spot start him three, four times a year 
and he can get them. It doesn't even have to be wins. Just give Frankie four or five games of just pure rest. Mm -hmm. I think that goes a long way. So that is a great Christmas wish wish for the San Diego Seals. The Saskatchewan Roughnecks. Wow, I I did that on Coast to Coast too. Oh, yeah, you did. (laughs) The Saskatchewan Rush um, would very much like a positive – review on the health status of Kyle Rubish and Ryan Dokes. Um, we haven't heard any updates since that game. They haven't made anything public, um, but they would like for those two guys to wake up full and healthy come the new year, because that is a massive part of their success is those two guys. So healthy results from the doctors for Rubes and Dokes under the tree. I still say if, if those two guys were healthy, even if one of them were healthy, they don't lose that game against San Diego. And we're talking about them being undefeated. Mm-hmm. Next up, Toronto. I think Jamie Dowick's asking for his offense to come back alive. And yes, I know they had some solid performances over the last two from certain individuals, but I think he's wanting that dynamic offense from the top to the bottom of the depth chart that every single guy that touches the ball is a threat to score. And, I don't think it's desperate. Like if it doesn't come right away, he's going to be disappointed. But of course it's, it's going to come to a point where it needs to come back to life because this is a team that has championship aspirations. And one reason was because of how dynamic their offense is. Can I, can I be a negative guy for a quick second? Sure. Of course. Um, I really believe Challen Rogers going out the front door is hurting them. But they don't wow. have anyone to fill that hole of Hellier. I just, I think it takes away from everything. And I said this at the start of the year. It takes away from everything that Challen does so well. And that mm-hmm. is play defense, find loose balls, start transition, and play the odd shift to O. Having him play every other shift or every shift to O, just, it just, uh, for me, the eye test, it doesn't seem like it's fitting. But they're only a few games in. Sawyer and Kruger will figure that offense out. But I honestly would like them to see, run him out the back, let him do what he does. But that's just me. Uh, the Vancouver Warriors last on our list. We kind of talked about it. They would like 60 minutes out of their tender. And it hasn't been Steve Fryer's fault. Hasn't been Aiden Walsh's fault. Heck, hasn't been Ethan Woods's fault. Their goaltenders have been left out to dry time and time again over their first three starts. So it's we're not blaming them. But they need to find a goaltender that can give them 60 minutes to help keep them in games. But it also starts with their defense finding a rhythm. Their defense last year was one of the most physical, aggressive, uh, and in-your-face defenses. And they've looked a shell of themselves over their last three games. They got absolutely lit up by Toronto in week one and a much better performance in week two. Uh, but then they got blown, had the, quote, doors blown off them. Uh, in game three but if they can get a goaltender to play 60 minutes and give that defense some confidence give the offense some confidence uh, I think they're going to be able to right the ship a little bit I don't know how far they can get but I think if they can get that I think they will be in a lot better position than they have been in the first three weeks beautifully said uh what's on your wish list Pat who my wish list hmm that is a great question. Mm-hmm. 
I think uh, I'm going to say on my my NL lacrosse wish list, I I hope we see four teams from the West and four teams from the East make the okay. Nice. Yeah, we yeah. don't have a crossover. I'm down with that. I, I would oh, really like to see. That, I thought you were going to take my saying, my my wish list, but I like oh, that geez. wish. List. Okay, let's uh, my wish is four Canadian teams in the playoffs, oh. all with home games. I like that even better. I like that. <laughs> Add that on my list. I, I'm asking for that too. I think that would just be absolutely incredible for mostly, you know, us. Because uh, that would be a lot of TSN games call throughout the playoffs. But I think that's just uh, would be absolutely incredible for the league to have four Canadian teams in the postseason with home games. Uh, it would just be electric factory because all four environments would be banana lands. So I need it. That's why I, I absolutely need it. Uh, thanks to Ty Marrow and thanks to Mitch Belial for stopping by and giving us some time. As always, thanks to you for sticking it with us and listening. Uh, we will back be back next week to preview week five in the NL. Technically, this is week four and there just aren't any games. So next week will be week five. We'll talk about it. There's three games. We'll have more guests, more insight, and more information. You can find him on Twitter at P Greggy. I'm at Teddy Jenner. The show is at OTCB underscore podcast or on the Instas at OTCB podcast. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Be safe. Enjoy your family and friends. And we'll talk to you in a week's time. But until then, stay safe and be excellent to each other.